What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 249 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for uh, Friday, May 13th, 2022. And you may ask yourself, where have they went to? And you may find yourself lacking a new episode of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries podcast. And you may say to yourself, well, how did they get here? Well, according to Mike, we've been locked in a steamer trunk for the last month. Thankfully, I was passed out for most of it because I don't recall this, but that's just what he tells me. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, I don't know how we made it, but uh, we persevered. And I think our love for Unsolved Mysteries uh, was able to keep us going. So here we are. Yeah, Um, I think that's the longest we've ever gone without doing a new episode. Yeah, uh, it was just one of those things where the schedules just didn't work and... Uh, we were just busy with some other stuff and people probably like get tired of hearing that excuse. But for me, it's like, um, do I have two hours of my day to like sit down and talk to somebody? Not, not usually, you know, not usually. (laughs) Um, or if I do, it's at like a weird ass time, like late at night. Well, yeah, that one week that we were going to do it, it just didn't work because of the fact that, and legitimately, our schedules just didn't match up. Like, that was a week where I was, like, working, like, almost the entire week, so it just, we just couldn't find a day. And then there were times where we had a day, but, you know, it didn't work for for Josh's schedule. Like yesterday. So we had to, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, here, here we are, after all these years. And um, thank fuck we don't have to talk about the keepers. <laughs> oh my god, man! Man, Josh is really not uh, a fan of the keepers. Definitely hasn't let that one go just yet. I'm reeling. I'm reeling from having had talked about it again, Deirdre. This is no reflection on you. I think you are a delight, but uh, that show was not. Anyway, we're going to be covering some unco- <laughs> some unsolved mysteries, going back to our roots. If this was a VH1 yeah. behind the music documentary, this would be the part in our career where then Josh and Mike went back to their roots. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have uh, some uh, relatively early uh, uh, season segments to talk about. Um uh, in Josh's case, uh, we're going to be talking about a case from the first season, so all the way back to where it began. Um, in my case, though, my pick is from season five. Now, this is a case that we had picked out, and I think we were going to do it at one point, but then we went on too long with the discussion about uh, a, a certain case that we had picked, or something just uh, came up, and we decided to do that instead. And it got lost in the shuffle. So here we are. And even if we did cover it, like Josh said, <laughs> there's a lot of people who probably don't remember. And uh, I'm one of them, because I don't remember us actually doing a podcast on this case. So uh, this is the skeleton in a box. Ooh, spooky. Almost like the Dick in, Dick in the Box, the famous yeah. Saturday Night Live sketch. I don't know which would be more traumatic. <laughs> the dick in the box or the skeleton in the well, box? Well, if it was a disembodied dick, that would be that would be pretty yeah. traumatizing. Be like that movie uh, One Eye or something with Ron Jeremy. 
Yeah, it's an actual movie about a disembodied dick. Oh my god. Did it wasn't there a murder movie about this tire? <laughs> yeah, rubber. But that's actually fun. Rubber's actually not that bad because they're in on the joke and Oh, okay. So they're not actually trying to so it's like a comedy thing. It is a comedy. It's oh, like a okay. dark comedy. Oh, okay. Good. Now they do take it seriously at times, but that's what makes it funnier. Okay. It's because, you know, it's like like they, they know it's absurd, but like they have some moments where they take it a little serious. Good. But then there's some moments where they're going like totally out there with it. And it, and it's fun. Um, so this is a, a case that involves uh, a longtime resident of Thermopolis, Wyoming, in nineteen eighty six, whom we will call Gabby, moved away. He left some of his belongings in a shed, including an old locked trunk. Now, Thermopolis, I always thought that was an interesting name for a town in the United States. That sounds like something from ancient Greece. Yes, it does. Or like a... An ancient like a, city of Thermopolis. Or like a, a, thermoset, a thermostat superstore or something. <laughs> yeah. Or just a thermos. It's a collectible thermos museum. Thermopolis. Thermopolis. So, uh, Gabby moved away, he had an old lock trunk, he left the shed with a friend, Newell, then six years passed, finally Newell couldn't stand the suspense, another minute, he opened the trunk. And that just kind of shows you that you don't have anything to do in where, in the small town that you're living in, when you just can't stand the suspense of opening an old ass trunk. You know, it's like, oh, there's dick to do there's nothing to do in this small ass town uh so opening locked trunks like that that's that's the peak of excitement yeah i mean my my dad has a a a safe um and he's you know since passed away so like we don't know what's in the safe but we really don't give a shit and we haven't even attempted to open it (laughs) that's like the opposite that's like who cares what's in that trunk? It's probably nothing. Well, yeah, well, knowing my dad, <laughs> knowing my dad, and, and knowing how he never really ever had anything of value uh, to his name because he never, yeah, like it would probably be like the Al Capone vault scenario. Yeah, I mean, there <laughs> there would probably be some outdated papers that don't mean shit. Um, they would he, had fa- he would have fake money again in there, like just oh just god, more fake Confederate. God, I forgot money. about that incident. <laughs> For those of you who may not remember, my uh, my grandfather's um, widow, uh, who totally like infringed on my grandma's shit and lived in, basically like cuckolded my poor dead grandmother, uh, moved into the house. Uh, basically, like we theorize that she poisoned my grandfather. Which good that old bastard had it coming to him. If that was the case, um, she calls me up one day and she's like, Josh, I ha- your grandfather has something he want to give to you. And it was really important that he give you this this uh, this money, this old money. And so we, I went over there with my brother. I don't know why she called me specifically. I think I was the only number she could find. But anyway, I go over there. I get the money. Uh, I take it home. It's, it's this old Confederate looking money. And like clearly... On the bill, it says facsimile. And I'm assuming she's too fucking stupid and redneck to know what the word facsimile means. But it means that this is a fake. This is a prop. This is not real. And my, if it is true that my grandfather was holding on to it, he is holding on to this shit for a really long time. Because it was like, 
it was like naturally aged. It wasn't artificially aged mm-hmm. like they usually are at the mm-hmm. prop, you know, at the stores or whatever. So this stupid moron of a human being hung on to this fake ass money. It would be hilarious if he paid someone real money for that fake money. Like, hey man, this is a this is a real Confederate dollars. Be worth this is already worth five hundred dollars on the internet. Just wait, it'll, just wait, what it'll be worth twenty years from now. You know, like that would be so yeah. funny if my grandfather was that yeah. stupid. But yeah, anyway, uh, that that happened. <laughs> that was something <laughs> That's that the happened. Context, to me. folks, for uh, the uh, fake uh, Confederate dollars. So uh, he. Uh, couldn't stand the suspense, and Newell opened the trunk, and what he found shocked him. And the reenactment is pretty hilarious, because they show them opening the trunk, and then as soon as they open the trunk, and they see that it's a bunch of bones, like, you hear this woman's voice in the background, you know, just be completely, totally shocked. And they're like, uh-oh! <laughs> you know, something like that. Uh-oh, that's not good. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, it, they had uncovered a human skeleton. It wasn't a fake skeleton either. It was a real skeleton. Uh, there wasn't too much to be said at the time. I think it was my wife who asked me to dig a hole and give it a proper burial. Newell's wife told him that he had to call the sheriff. Before he did, though, Newell felt obliged to contact Gabby. Gabby, he's like a no-nonsense guy. Like, like the, the, he... The the scenes that you see with him, uh, this is a guy who tells it like it is, and uh, doesn't seem like he's very uh, bothered at all by the fact that some people might have looked at him as a suspect at, at some point. Which which pretty much you know shows you that he's not guilty. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike the. Um... What's his face? Uh, the one guy in that one episode that was uh, mm-hmm. interviewed, who was like, even the w- when I was listening to the behind the scenes commentary, even the 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 director or whatever yeah. was like, yeah, this guy, oh Rick Rick uh, or uh, Rizzo, um, Leonard yeah. Rizzo, Leonard yeah, that, Rizzo, that's yeah, the guy I was thinking of. Even the the guy on the commentary was like, yeah, this guy was so clearly guilty <laughs> during this interview. <laughs> like you can see, he's like all nervous and yeah, you know, all that. Gabby know. was just like, hey, I, 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 there's no way I had anything to do with this. Like, like the the gun itself is older than I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the second, <laughs> like, fuck off with your stupid logic. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Newell's, uh, wife told him that he had to call the sheriff. He called the sheriff. Uh, but before he did, uh, he would, he decided to contact Gabby. Uh, Gabby told Newell that he had never opened the footlocker. He thought he bought it at a garage sale. But according to Newell, when it came to the time and the place, Gabby's memory had failed him. Which sometimes that happens. Like, maybe he went to, like, numerous, uh, garage sales and, and, uh, um, auctions and and flea markets during his time and he doesn't really remember every single one so he acted probably as surprised as i did when i opened the trunk that he couldn't believe it he thought i was kidding him and i told him no i'm not kidding you there was a human skeleton in there (laughs) newell sessions contacted john lumley the sheriff of hot spring county (laughs) hot spring right from the start sheriff lumley was suspicious I've talked to a lot of people about this case, and everybody said that almost 99.99% or more that they would have opened it immediately upon purchasing it. Yeah. They said if they, 
Go ahead. No, I mean, yeah, they, they, I I find that extremely curious as to like why, like, I mean, that's the whole reason you buy that kind of shit, right? That's the only reason because you, you're hoping something valuable or, might be in or it. you buy it as like uh, something that you just use for decoration. Yeah, but you know, for it, open it though. It's just weird that you wouldn't have done that unless they're using it for like just like a a table or something or whatever maybe they wouldn't open it they're just using it as some kind of thing where they would just set, set stuff on top of it if you play if you play any harder devil's advocate right now you're going to be in hell my friend <laughs> some people probably think i already am especially for the the recent review i did of jesus camp on my youtube channel oh sweet i didn't know you did that <laughs> So they said if they went to a yard sale or garage sale, bought a trunk, that's half the excitement. It's like a Christmas present. They can't wait to get home to open it. I love that. It's like a Christmas present. They can't wait to get home to open it. I'm like, it's not for me. I don't give a shit. Throw the fucking thing. Like, actually, there was, I I don't know. Did this, I'm thinking like, yeah, I do remember something about a trunk. Like somebody left a trunk, like in our yard we initially got a little maybe suspicious about it, kind of brought somebody in, but then there was like nothing, there was nothing in it. it we, we still opened it, but there was nothing in the trunk. It was just trash. Which is, which is usually how that shit goes. I mean, you know. Yeah. People tend to keep up with their valuable stuff and don't just let it, you know, get away from them willy-nilly. Especially if they're going to go to the trouble of putting it in a secured receptacle yeah so uh two days later the skull was examined by an x-ray machine the tests revealed that a bullet was lodged in the skull now sheriff lumley thought he might have a murder case on his hands he decided to have a chat with gabby but gabby was unsure about the details uh, i i love this part uh because uh this just shows that gabby his memory is either not the best or he's just trying to just bullshit his way through the interview so we can get the the sheriff to just get out of there. But the thing is, like that probably makes him look even more like a suspect. <laughs> but some people do that. They're like, I just this this happened, then this happened, and just get get out of my face. I got stuff to do. <laughs> so he said he might have bought the trunk in Wyoming, Iowa, Illinois, or maybe Oklahoma. It might have been as early as 1973. But maybe not. <laughs> According to Gabby, he just wasn't sure. <laughs> Classic. Well, my being a suspect, what do I have to worry about? I mean, really, you know, I didn't do the guy. I didn't shoot this dude. I mean, just I'm, the fact they used the lingo, I didn't do the guy, that's kind of some mob talk right there, so I don't yeah. know. <laughs> hey, I didn't whack him. What do you want from me? I didn't shoot the dude. I'm not even as old as the gun that shot him. But Sheriff Lumley's primary concern was not Gabby's age. Gabby is in his mid-40s. The footlocker and the thought and the lock were made back in the 30s time period. I don't believe that Gabby was the person that caused the death of this person, but my thoughts have always been that he has knowledge of who the person in the trunk is or where they came from. I don't know. Why would you automatically assume that? Yeah. I On, uh, because, like, yeah, like, would he willingly bought the trunk? Like, hey, hey, this is a very special trunk, Gabby. It's got a dead body in it. It's got real bones. How much are you going to give me for it? 
<laughs> You're not going to go to the p- police about this, are you? Because if so, I'm not going to sell it to you. I probably shouldn't have told you the whole thing about the dead body uh, before selling it. So, uh, on March 31st, uh, 1992, Sheriff Lumley turned the skeleton over to the Wyoming State Crime Lab in Cheyenne, which I've actually been to. I've been to Cheyenne, Wyoming, in hopes that maybe the bones could tell him what Gabby could not. Sandra Mays was uh, the lab technician that examined the skeleton. He was in his 50s to 60s, probably stood about 5 foot 8, plus or minus an inch and a half, and was a Caucasian male. The bullet was from a 25 caliber weapon that was produced in the ni- in uh, 1904 and then available in the United States about 1908. Uh, they also referenced that there was like this uh, bag that's from like some department store or something that was in the, in the box, was in the trunk. Yeah. And that was like something that only uh, started being a thing like in the 1950s. I think it's fascinating that like... Uh in cases like these where there's things like a a bag or a cup from a fast food restaurant they're able to like contact like the 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 CEO or whoever the, the uh, mm-hmm. of that restaurant and and that they'll be able to like go through their archives and be like oh yeah no we only made that cup from 1992 to 1996 you know like I mean there there's some really uh uh cool uh bits of uh forensics that have that have come from that like uh, I remember an episode of Forensic Files where they caught somebody based on just finding a specific fat fiber from like a jacket that matched uh, a, a certain uh, jacket that had a limited amount of uh, um, copies that were made or it was made only around this certain time. So they were able to narrow things down and they were able to to pin the crime on somebody based on this fiber again this is this is where like i talk about like them ripping up carpet for to find swatches of blood you, mm-hmm. using their luminol and all that and then other cases are like yeah we don't know what happened uh, good luck to you you know it's like <laughs> i don't understand what the differential is with the uh effort of investigation they're 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 digging up fibers and they find from one specific coat you know the you know, they're able to get the perpetrator or whatever, and it's like, yeah, but they don't always go, they don't always try that hard, you know? It's weird. Yeah, it just depends sometimes. Um, it depends if they're white! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> In an effort to identify the victim, Sandra Mace created a three-dimensional facial reconstruction out of clay. Always thought those are really cool. That's one goofy-looking motherfucker. He looks yeah, like he is. George Washington's brother or something. Or he looks like uh, one of the lost members of the Three Stooges. No, actually, you know what he looks like? He looks like uh, he looks like a, a, like an inbred version of Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> how, how would his version of Phil Collins' song sound like? Zoo Zoo Studio. <laughs> so only the air, the 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 air, only the eyes and the hair, if I can speak. Our guesswork. Otherwise, Sandra's facial recreation should be a good likeness of the man who somehow got a bullet in the head sometime after 1908. Now, they actually actually did find out who the man is, and they have a photo of him. Honestly, the three-dimensional facial reconstruction doesn't look anything like this guy. No, no, it doesn't. Like, I I guess that just goes to show you how complex the, uh, you know facial features can be to where mm-hmm. 
just because you have a skeleton, that doesn't mean you can automatically do a faithful yeah. recreation of the face or whatever. So, uh, he got a bullet in his head sometime after 1908, but who was the man? How and why did he die? The old trunk appeared to have been used by someone in the U.S. Armed Services between World War One and World War Two. Perhaps the trunk alone holds the key to unraveling this bizarre mystery. There actually is an update. After 25 years, the work of the Hot Springs County Sheriff's Office brought the case to a close. In October of 2017, a DNA sample was submitted by a woman who said that her father had been shot in the head sometime in 1960 by her uncle, and her father's remains were placed in a trunk. Wow, sometime in 1960. Well, it does fit, you know, the the time frame, sometime after 1908. But that's a long time after 1908. So yeah, he was shot in the head sometime in 1960 by her uncle, and her father's remains were placed in a trunk. The uncle transported the trunk to Wyoming and then left it behind. The DNA sample was a 99% match to the bones, which have now been identified as Joseph Mulvaney. Kind of feel like they owe uh, Gabby an apology. Yeah. For being so accusatory. Yeah. Also, uh, it's one of those cases, too, where the killer of Joseph Mulvaney has not been caught and more than likely never will be caught. Like, it seems like, you know, it's the father, her father is the one that, you know, that got shot by her uncle, but the uncle was never captured because I don't think the uncle is really around anymore. Although someone's saying the uncle in question was Gabby. That's an interesting theory. The Uh uncle in question was Gabby. Gabby shot his brother Joseph in 1960, buried him in the trunk. He later unburied him and transported him to Wyoming, where he left him with his friend Newell Sessions. Um, but I don't know about that, because that, that just seems like a wild uh, theory because of the fact that the case was closed and uh, there, there actually was someone that didn't know Gabby at all that mentioned that it was her father. So it's, probably, it's definitely not Gabby. I was just looking at the comments. It's from comments probably before the update. Update. What would you do if you found a truck, a trunk of uh, a truck? A, a tru- <laughs> uh, yes, a tru- I'm going to revise my statement. A truck of bones. Just a truck <laughs> full of bones. Holy shit! I'd be like, I'd be scared <laughs> to be honest. I've had a truck full of bones. What about a truck made out of bones? If they're fake bones, that might be kind of cool. But like real bones, that's that's pretty that's pretty fucked up. <laughs> it's pretty metal if you ask me. Yeah, very metal, very death metal. Yeah. Um, is that all we have for that one? Yeah, I believe so. Well, we got a, a meaty one coming up. Yeah. Um, that's why I think it was a good pick to do this uh, smaller one because... We got a beefy uh, case here yeah, the, with uh, the, Clarence and Geneva Roberts. The first one was the opening act. Now now the headliner is here. Speaking of headliner, I saw Primus uh, last weekend. I was yeah, I heard f- about that. Yeah, it was pretty fucking awesome. Uh, they're doing their fare- uh, farewell to uh, or tribute to Kings tour where yeah. they play rushes of farewell to Kings in its entirety in the middle of their set. Uh-huh. And it is so it was so sick. Like. Yeah, anyway, I won't get too far into that, but yeah, check check them out if you can, if they're in your area. 
Good, very good show. You will not regret it. Les Claypool is a bass playing god. Uh, so now we're going to be talking about the case of Clarence Joseph and Geneva Faye Roberts. Um, Nashville, Indiana. Population 700. Wow. Population 700. That sounds like a really happening place. Uh, it's located... It's definitely not as happening as the other Nashville. That's for sure. No. I bet you could score really easily in Nashville, Indiana, because it's like... Girls are going to be less likely to turn you down because you're literally the only one of the only choices. <laughs> so, so you're saying that Beavis and Butthead, you know, they, they would finally score. <laughs> if hey, they Butthead, to... I was going to Nashville, Indiana. We can totally score. There's only like 70 people there. <laughs> Shut up, Beavis. I'm going to score. You're going to sit there like a little butt munch and watch. <laughs> I score you, Butthead. Uh, anyway, I haven't done that voice in a while. Um so, Nashville, Indiana, population 700, is located in the American heartland. What is the American heartland? I hear this all the time in, in the term God's country. Is that like mm-hmm. a part of, is that a part of the country, or is that just people being, like, religious and being it's like, It's like oh, in the middle. God. I think it's another another term for, like, the middle of, of the country. You okay. Know? Whatever. The heartland, and then, and like, then right you hear in like, the middle of America. Then you hear, like, uh, the Rust Belt, the mm-hmm. Sun Belt. Like, what are all these belts? I don't get it. Um, it has been described as the Norman Rockwell painting brought to life. Everybody, everybody uses that phrase to describe a pretty town or something. I feel like that's a played out comparison nowadays. It's like a Norman Rockwell painting. Yeah, but I, there's probably a lot of people nowadays who are like, who? What? Yeah, I, I don't even, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't even, uh, like, I don't even think I've seen a Norman Rockwell painting. Have you? Yeah. Oh. Are they as uh, picturesque as people make them out? Oh, to be? definitely. It's like it's like a you know, leave it to Beaver, or whatever. Like it's that in color and you know, in in with a, a lot of uh, you know, vibrant illustrations. It, 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 honestly, it's very similar in style to those old Coca Cola uh, ads or those art that that a uh, bit of artwork uh, with uh, Santa Claus and like a oh and okay. A, and a bottle of Coke. Like, it's very similar to that kind of thing. I wonder if those are collectible or, or they're just so, like, they're, they're so, like, all, all over the place that no one really cares. It depends. Everyone knows one another there. So there are a few street addresses and even fewer secrets. It's a community in the best sense of the word. I don't know, man. I don't want everyone knowing me and my shit. Two of its most illustrious citizens were 52-year-old Clarence Roberts and his wife Geneva. But in the fall of 1970, the couple had become embroiled in a firestorm of controversy, as the Brits would say. Betrayal and murder. On the night of November... Yeah, right? (laughs) On the night of November 18th, 1970, a fire raged out of control behind the Roberts' fashionable home. When the ashes had cooled... A body was discovered and identified as Clarence. And by the way, this is uh, from season one, like I mentioned. So you have that really great, spooky, eerie, early Unsolved Mysteries atmosphere in terms of the way it's shot. They actually are dealing with a little bit of a budget. So when they show like the house on fire, like they did it all for real. Yeah, I mean, they, they lit that bitch ablaze. Mm-hmm. Um. So the body was discovered as Clarence. In the segment, they have, like, one police officer that's like, that was definitely Clarence's body in the first fire. 
And then they have this other guy who's like, that definitely was not Clarence. Yeah, he I think di- it's his he, brother. Yeah. He died in the second fire. And then they, they interview this third lady, and she's like, I think Clarence is still alive. <laughs> so yeah, I know. <laughs> so you, you get every scenario. It's like, he died in the first fire. He died in the second fire. I think he's still alive. I thought that shit was funny how they yeah. edited they, they that together. They did that a few times with the editing yeah, they, in this they segment. Did. Yeah. Uh, so 10 years later on, on November 29th, 1980, another fire blazed. Two more bodies were discovered. One was Geneva, and the other was again identified as Clarence. But how could a man die twice? Today, the people of Nashville still wonder what really happened to him. See, this makes it like one of the uh, typical, like, really good Unsolved Mysteries cases, because it's like very genuinely mysterious and interesting. Right. Like, it just hooks you. You're like, how could a man die twice? Like, I want to know. Right. Right, I mean, if you ask me, this shit would totally fly nowadays. Some good content. It stands the test of time. Uh, Detective Sergeant Don Custer of the Indiana State Police talked to both detectives that investigated the second fire. Based on what they told him, he believes that Clarence died in the second fire. Clarence's nephew, Bob White, Bob White, Bob White, believes that he died in the first fire. Clarence's sister-in-law, Alberta Roberts, believes that he is still alive, which is the thing I was just telling you about. The mystery of Clarence's death still haunts those who knew him. In the 1960s, he embodied the American dream. I'm a former sheriff and board member of the Nashville State Bank. He seemed to have it all, but something went wrong for him. His dreams became twisted into a nightmarish saga that has gone on for decades and still continues today. And the writing on this wiki is uh, killing it. In the 1960s, Clarence owned a prosperous hardware store along with his brother Carson. He was well-respected and seemed to be friends with everyone. He and Carson worked together for about 22 years. Carson recalled that he always seemed happy and enjoyed working. He was friendly and always got along with people. He was a hard worker who put a lot of hours in at the store. Bob recalled that he was very helpful and would help anyone in need. Clarence and Geneva had been married since 1941. She came from a poor family, but together they rose in Nashville society. With four sons and a successful family business, they seemed to be the perfect couple. He soon reached the third degree of the... uh, 33rd. 33rd degree of the Masons, a rank commemorated by a ring, which he wore proudly. Oh, so he's a part of the Masonic Temple. Okay, all right. Remember that ring. Um... However, his appetite for the good life soon began to consume him. He purchased three luxury cars and an expensive and fashionable home. Behind this facade of wealth were heavy debts. I don't really get why people do that. Like, I was about you, to say the same exact thing. You know, it's like one of those things, it's like, oh, you have made it finally. You have gotten to the point where you were making enough money to sustain yourself sustain your family and live a comfortable and relatively prosperous life why would you potentially gamble that and throw it all the way throw it all away see i can't even finish sentences properly because it's just so mind-blowing to me for the chance of being a millionaire which is incredibly rare like like that doesn't happen very often well, I guess it happens more often now, but like back then, like that was like the equivalent of trying to be a billionaire. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't get it either. Um, I mean, I just don't have the uh, 
prestige erection that some people get from, you know, say, like, buying a Rolex watch or, like... A Tesla. Uh, like, a <laughs> Gucci clothes or... A, te- a Tesla, I understand more because it's an electric car. But it's also a prestige thing. Oh, yeah. It's really it, I mean, expensive, and, you know, they carry around this certain kind of uh, vibe. Right, it gives off a certain air of sophistication. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, look at me, I'm driving a Tesla. How fucking cool and futuristic am I? Mm-hmm. Or even like, I don't know, man. Even to, to like smartwatches to a certain degree. I, just, I mean, I know, I know they're useful, but like, I, someone gave one to me for Christmas, yeah. and I, I use the thing like twice, and it's like, I, yeah, I don't get it. It, it, it's, it's more of a nuisance than anything because it's like connected with your smartphone, so yeah. like. I'll get a message on my watch and then clear it, and then I won't see the message on my phone. And the only reason I cleared the message on my watch was because I wanted to read it. Anyway, I won't go off on that whole tangent. So anyway, (laughs) Alberta recalled that his personality changed greatly around this time. She described it as, quote, turning a light on and turning a light off. Which actually is a pretty apt description. I thought it was Uh, pretty good. Very eloquent. Alberta, you you are the master of analogies. That is the that is a masterful fucking analogy. You turned a light on and then you you turned it off. Uh, to finance his extravagant lifestyle, Clarence sold his hardware See, business. I mean, like, what are you doing? Like, this mm-hmm. whole thing is like, what the fuck are you doing, Clarence? <laughs> then the next one, even more ridiculous. He yeah. gambled gambled everything on yeah. two property investments, an apartment building, and several grain elevators. Now, I'm not from Indiana, but I'm sure grain elevators are really hot in Indiana. I'm sure they're very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know if I would have invested in several of them. I don't know if I would have invested in one of them. I'm sure there's some kind of dividend that gets paid off yeah. if you own the elevator. I'm and sure then they also have- like the apartment building, like not some other former property. Like the apartment building well, isn't that, necessarily always the best kind of gamble it's not but like that actually can be a really lucrative investment if you manage it properly makes more sense than grain elevators but if it's an apartment building in the middle of fucking nowhere uh, nashville indiana then that's not really a good investment yeah right really i mean it's like (laughs) what's the demand what is the demand for uh uh, apartments uh well i mean i guess i i got confused with hotels and motels um like I bet there's none of those in Nashville, Indiana, because no one maybe is, a motel. No one is traveling from out of town. Nobody, like nobody, is <laughs> is needing to uh, extra temporary space in Nashville, Indiana. Listen to me, just smashing the city. I wonder if it still even exists. It probably does, and there might be more people. people or less. Do cities ever stop existing if it just gets too dead? Do they just like decommission a city? Like this city just didn't make it. We're, we're shutting her down. I don't know if they do that. I know there's ghost towns. I'd love to go to a ghost town. Wouldn't it be cool if there was like a ghost town that was like from like the 1990s, so like everything was frozen in time? <laughs> like there's like an that's, old. That's block- similar to like the abandoned uh, uh, places that people go into and shoot videos in. Like you should definitely check out the. Oh, abandoned I have. Series yeah, I have. Of, I love it. I love it whenever they like show like products like they so they showed like a soda fountain from the 90s and it had Mm -hmm. all the old stickers on there that anyway getting off topic again 
What can I say? This uh, segment is just brimming with shit for me to talk about. Unlike well, at the, the ke- same time, the that's, that's typical. You know, that, that's, that's vintage uncovering unexplained my- mysteries for you. That's true. Off-topic tangents. So anyway, these investments failed. Uh, the, the, the grain ele- elevator failed? You mean to tell me that, that that wasn't something that yielded money? It didn't go up? Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, I guess you could have called that investment a little bit grainy. <laughs> anyway, he also sub- uh, he also submitted altered and or fictitious bills to an insurance oh. company regarding the apartment. Well, that wasn't mentioned in the in the segment. Yeah, I don't feel like it was. By fall of 1970, he knew that he was in serious trouble. In October, one month before the first fire, Sheriff Warren Roberts, Clarence's own brother, repossessed two of his vehicles. I like in the reenactment, he's like, well, I see what you're doing, uh, Clarence, I mean, or, or, or Warren, like, uh, but like, you know, I, I can pay it back. And like, they're literally just driving his cars away as he's talking. Um, yeah, and he's like, oh, that's how it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clarence and Geneva were left desolate, desolate and desperate. Bob recalled that Clarence had become depressed and possibly suicidal around this time. It's weird to think about, like, old people, you know, like, old school people, like, being suicidal. I don't know why it seems like such a modern thing, but it, it, it can you imagine someone in, like, the 1950s, like, being suicidal? It just, it doesn't... Yeah, I think I definitely can, because it's a human emotion. It's like I mean, I know, and, and even, like, back in, like, fucking the fa- Egyptian times, I'm sure yeah. there's people... It's, it's probably because of like the, how the media has showcased like people from that time, you know, the whole leave it to beaver kind of thing. Right. Yeah. You know, they it's don't hard show to, the grittiness. Yeah. It's hard to see that from that perspective. I wonder if people swore as much back then. Probably did. Just not on TV. Uh, at 6 20 p.m. on the night of November 18th, 1970, firemen arrived to the garage barn of the Roberts home ablaze. The heat was so intense that they stood helplessly as the structure burned to the ground. When the fire had cooled, they made a grisly discovery a body burned beyond recognition laid beneath the rubble. A half melted shotgun was by its side. Now, you've, yeah, talk about fucking hot fires, melting metal. Good lord, that's some like jet engine fuel right there. That was not a reference to 9-11 conspiracy theories, goddammit. I don't want... I don't, not that anyone was saying that, but... You anyway. didn't even have to bring it up. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. And now that I did, people are going to start thinking that. Anyway. I'm not editing that out either. I'm doing one edit for this podcast, and I already, I already fucked that, that one up. So there's no more edits. One edit per podcast, my new rule that I just made up right now. The body was so badly burned, it was difficult to identify it as human, even. Jack Bond, the count, the county coroner, feared that Clarence had finally paid his debts by taking his own life. Well, I don't know if the debt collectors see it that way, but uh, when the body was found, Jack assumed that he had shot himself. He figured that uh, he had too many worries in his life, so he decided to commit suicide. When they arrived at the funeral home, they started looking for gunshot wounds. They were surprised not to find any. The police wondered how Clarence's suicide could have been accomplished without a gunshot wound. An autopsy later determined that the cause of death was carbon monoxide poisoning, which occurred prior to the fire. But how did he do it in his house? I don't know. Detective Don Custer sifted through the debris. 
Hidden in the ashes, he found Clarence's Masonic ring. Despite the intense heat, it was virtually undamaged. That is a really interesting uh, bit of uh, information. Like, the, after all of that, like, just the extreme heat, you think it would be melted or would have more damage to it, but it... I mean, certainly a shot a shotgun would have thicker metal than a ring, you would think. Yeah. And that partially melted. Yeah. But um, this was undamaged, which led to police thinking that it was a plant. Um, but maybe that's, you know, that's the power of the Masons. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> the, the Masonic power. It was glowing with, with Masonic power. It was still in excellent shape and did not appear to have been melted. Uh, he did not believe the ring could have withstood the heat of the fire without having any damage to it. He believed that it was planted. This was only the first of a series of unusual discoveries. Investigators learned that only months before the fire, Clarence had purchased several insurance policies on his life, totaling close to $1 million. Very suspicious. The policies named Geneva as the beneficiary. He also told a friend that he had more than $100,000 in a Swiss bank account. He even showed the friend his card for the account. In addition, a test showed that the body found in the blaze had type AB blood. Clarence's blood type was B. Based on records from the U.S. Army, if it was not the body of Clarence, then who died in the fire? Well, that transitions it. into, like, later on, they have, like, a theory about who it could be. It could be somebody else. And uh, uh, I wanted to bring that up because when you were saying, like, how did he do it in the house? You know, the whole, like, how did he get uh, carbon monoxide poisoning? Um, I, I, you know, it ties into the theory that it could have been somebody else who was incapacitated and then, you know, the, the house got lit on fire and then they, they died of carbon monoxide poisoning before their body was burned. Well, true. Um, on November 17th, two days before the blaze, Clarence was spotted in a bar... (laughs) <laughs> in the nearby community of Morgantown, also in Brown County, befriending a vagrant. The man was described as about 5'7 to 5'9, and he was about the same age as Clarence. The two were together, but Clarence apparently did not know his name. He told the man that he had some odd jobs at his house that needed done. The man agreed to go with him. As they were leaving, the man collapsed from some unknown cause. Like the, the reenactment seemed to make it seem like it was like something he ate or something he drank. Yeah, poisoned. It's poisoned. Clarence said that he would take the man to the hospital. Detective Custer later checked on all the hospitals with a 300-mile radius and found that the man had not been admitted to any of them. Two theories divided Nashville. One, that Clarence had killed himself, and another, that he murdered the vagrant in order to collect the insurance money. It is even claimed that he watched from the woods as the flame destroyed the evidence of his crime. That reenactment, Bob- like that segment with, with Clarence like watching... The the house burned down. Like that was just a really great looking shot. Like they nailed that one. I was in here setting up for the podcast during that portion of it, but I believe you. <laughs> um, Bob believes that Clarence was suicidal. However, he does not believe that he was homicidal. Alberta, on the other hand, believes that he was definitely capable of murder. And that's, and that's where that's you another. get one of those edits, like yeah, that we were talking like, about. He d- he definitely didn't do it. He definitely did do it. <laughs> I love that. He was just like. Not you know, not beyond my wildest imagination could I think that Clarence could be involved in something like that. And then it cuts to his sister. It's like definitely, yeah, definitely he was capable of it. <laughs> he clearly did not share his fucking gummy worms with her when they were growing up. 
Clarence was either dead or missing. As a result, Geneva was left alone. Her fortune changed dramatically from riches back to rags. That's so sad. Really is. She she was forced to move to an old home on on the Roberts family property on the outskirts of town. Her claims to the insurance money were repeatedly denied. She also tried to have Clarence declared dead. However, the judge denied the request, citing insufficient evidence. She was not alone in maintaining that Clarence had died in the first fire. Dr. John Pless, a prominent pathologist, agreed with her. In 1978, attorneys came uh, to him to review the reports of the experts who had examined the evidence. Through this process, he proved to himself and several others that the body found in the garage belonged to Clarence. Dr. Pless testified at the civil trial against the insurance companies that he felt that it was highly probable that the body was Clarence's. Despite his testimony, Geneva lost all her appeals. Yeah, you really did sympathize a lot for Geneva. Like, poor, poor woman, man. I mean, Unless she was in, somehow involved in the scam. I mean, there's a possibility that, you know, that leads into the... And, you know, the other theory the, the, the b story yeah but dr plus go ahead but even then like i i think if she was someone involved with it it was after the fact like she didn't even know that he was alive and then he showed up again and and, and she was so desperate that she was like okay i'll get she you beer a, she was a patsy yeah Dr. Pless felt that those on Geneva's side were decimated emotionally by the judge's ruling. Dr. Pless could not understand why the judge had made the ruling. The denials took their toll on Geneva. Withdrawing from her friends and neighbors, she became the subject of local gossip. In order to make ends meet, Geneva had to take a job in the kitchen of the local Howard Johnson's restaurant. Then the rumors began. Local shopkeepers said that they had sold her large quantities of beer. This was surprising considering she was diabetic and seldom drank. Some said that she was not alone, and neighbors began to report seeing someone on the grounds of her home. Detective Dave Anderson developed information that a man had been behind her residence. The man acted very strangely and never let anyone get close to him. He would always duck away from them and head back toward the home immediately. Detective Anderson and several other officers set up surveillance of the home. They were there for approximately three days and nights. They photographed everyone who came and went in and around the house. However, they however they never saw the man. Despite this, they believed the man was Clarence. They speculated that he, he had run out of places to go and decided to come back and stay with Geneva. A local reporter, Helen Ayers, had grown friendly with Geneva and felt that she was hiding something or someone. Helen visited the home on four different occasions. Geneva always met her on the back porch and never invited her inside. This was especially strange because it was a common courtesy in Nashville to invite someone inside when they came to visit. Helen suspected that a man was living with her. Helen interviewed Clarence's sister, who lived in the adjacent yard. She said that she could hear Geneva talking to a man. Surprisingly, she said that it was not Clarence's voice. Nobody knows for certain what Geneva was trying to hide or whom. Her reclusive life went on uneventfully until the night of uh, November 29th, 1980, when her house caught on fire. What's up with these people in fires? Detective Anderson arrived at the scene soon after. The fire was still burning very intensely at that time. After the fire was extinguished, she stayed behind, curious as to what would be found. The house had been totally demolished. Sifting through the ashes, searchers found Geneva's body. They removed it and sent it to the funeral home. Hours later, they made another shocking discovery. A second body in another part of the house. When Dr. Pless reviewed the chest x-ray of the body, he immediately recognized it as belonging to Clarence. The body was soon positively identified as his. Dr. Pless and detectives had the difficult task of telling everyone that Clarence was dead for the second time. 
God damn. The second fire was a clear-cut case of arson. Detectives could clearly follow the burn patterns from Geneva's bed into the adjacent room where Clarence's body was located, and then down a hallway and out the back door of the house. Based on the evidence, they determined that Geneva had been murdered. There are, uh, they are certain that turpentine was used to ignite the fire. However, they do not know who started it, Clarence or a third party. Detective Anderson believes that a third party was responsible. Investigators had no clue as to who set the second fire, but they believe they have identified the victim. <laughs> so um, there was somebody like in the comment section that mentioned like, uh, uh, you know, the potential like the third party. Maybe it was Billy Joel and they interviewed him and they interrogated him and he said, like, we didn't start the fire. It's always been burning since the world's been turning. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I fucking hate that song. Really? It's annoying. Yeah. I hate it when songs try to like teach me something, and they try to they try to fool me yeah. through music. I like that song. I was surprised that Weird, Weird Al didn't parody that one. He had uh, he had parodied a Billy Joel song. Uh, it's still Billy Joel to me. Yeah. Uh, parody of it's still rock and roll to me. Uh-huh. I don't. It never really made it onto an album though. So anyway, uh, Detective Anderson is convinced that the second victim in the second fire was Clarence. Dr. Plessall is convinced of that based on medical evidence. He now believes that a vagrant died in the first fire. Bob, however, does not believe that the victim in the second fire was Clarence. He and Carson believe that the victim was the unknown man that had been seen at Geneva's house. Today, in Greenlawn Cemetery, the mystery of Clarence Roberts lies buried, still defying explanation after decades. Who was the man in the first fire? Who set the second fire and why? Who was the mysterious figure seen at Geneva's house and why did she hide his identity? And the key question, where is Clarence? Is he still in the grave of the 1980 victim? Some family members are doubtful and they protested when a headstone with his name was put in place. Whoever it is that rests beneath this Midwestern earth will never tell his tale. So what do you think? Do you think uh, the first body was Clarence or do you think the second body was Clarence? Probably the second body. I think, I definitely think he was, uh, I mean, if you're doing such irregular behavior as betting everything you have on a fucking grain silo, then, you know, you're going to do some desperate actions to to keep your uh, shit together. Yeah, the like, thing is, though, like, he went through that $100,000 in his Swiss bank account and, like, all the insurance stuff, like, he went through that. Well, maybe he didn't get the insurance, he didn't get the insurance because, like, they, they didn't give it to her yeah because they could they they weren't convinced he was actually dead so he didn't get it so his his final gamble didn't pay off and so he was so desperate that he decided to like move back to nashville and hide in plain sight in a town of 700 fucking people (laughs) like it's one thing to hide in like jacksonville yeah. good lord like, but then with like the third huge. party like why was the second fire set off like why did that happen why was well, geneva they a, killed they have a whole suspects thing here if you want to read that so uh here are some suspects regarding the first fire it was believed that clarence either committed suicide or killed a vagrant and set him on fire in the garage barn he had been seen with a vagrant in another town shortly before the fire his Masonic ring found in the ashes of the garage did not appear to have been damaged by the fire. Furthermore, blood tests indicated the body had AB blood, while Clarence had type B. 
Other evidence indicated that Clarence was not the one that killed in, killed in the first fire. A tooth discovered near the body was identified as the lower right second molar. Clarence's lower right second molar had been removed several years prior to the fire. Well, they should have mentioned that in the segment. That's a pretty big piece of evidence. His cousin, Charles, reported seeing him less than a half an hour prior to the fire. He was wearing a solid blue shirt at the time. His body was later found with a brown plaid shirt. Witnesses reported that the vagrant was wearing a brown plaid shirt. Ooh. Witnesses also said that they saw Clarence and the man together on two occasions before the fire and the day of the fire. An autopsy determined that the first victim died of carbon monoxide prior to the start of the fire. The bank later repossessed Clarence's truck. They discovered holes in the exhaust system, apparently made by a hammer or a similar instrument. Uh, oh, maybe he did that to give the guy carbon monoxide poisoning and then put him in the room and then lit it on fire. Yeah, it could be. Evidence also indicated that Clarence was still alive following the first fire. Several witnesses reported seeing a mysterious man at Geneva's home throughout the 1970s. Insurance investigator William Mitchell received reports of Clarence living in New Mexico, Mexico, and West Germany. Robert Hillenberg, a former Nashville resident who moved to New Mexico, reported seeing him in Las Palmas, Mexico in 1975. Other acquaintances reported seeing him in various locations in 1972, 1974, and 1975. Regarding the second fire, there are several possible theories. One is that Clarence murdered Geneva and an unknown man before setting the house on fire and fleeing. Another theory is that Clarence and Geneva committed suicide together so that their children could cash in on their life insurance. Yet another theory is that Clarence killed Geneva and then committed suicide or died accidentally. One final theory is that Clarence and Geneva were killed by an unknown third party. Investigators looked into the possibility that Clarence had helped either with his apparent murderous schemes or while he was on the run. However, in 1983, a Brown County grand jury declined to charge anyone with helping him. Now it is uh, unresolved. So, authorities are certain that the second body and the second fire belong to Clarence. X-rays and dental records from Clarence match the body. In regards to the 1980 fire, a grand jury determined that Geneva was either murdered or passed out from alcohol consumption or a diabetic coma, and that Clarence died accidentally while setting the fire. They believe that he passed out either from alcohol consumption or from the fire's fumes. So they both got drunk, and then they, then and then uh, Clarence decided to light the house on fire. I mean, I guess if you were going to kill yourself that way, you would have to get pretty fucking tore up. I, w- I would hate to uh, go through that sober. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what caused him to come up with the idea. He got drunk, just completely fucking plastered, three sheets in the wind, and then he was like, I'm just going to end it. Yeah, I mean, those are definitely, uh, you you definitely do come up with uh, ideas like that uh, while drinking, or, 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 or you're more likely to come up with ideas like that if you're really drunk. So, I mean, his blood alcohol was a level was 0.2, while hers was 0.3. They were pretty drunk. Authorities are also certain that Clarence was responsible for the murder of the first victim. In fact, a grand jury indicted him for kidnapping and murder in 1975. However, the victim's identity remains a mystery. Authorities looked into the possibility the victim was uh, a 38-year-old drifter from Kentucky named James, Ro- James Woodrow Hatcher, who vanished in 1968. However, x-rays of James' body were not a match to the victim. So that's the puzzling story of Clarence and Geneva Roberts. Clarence Roberts, the man who died twice. 
Damn, point three, like blood alcohol level. That's like death. That's like alcohol poisoning. Yeah, basically. So yeah, she she was blackout. Point two is pretty fucking high as well. I mean, but yeah, that's like I can't imagine a female body being able to process point three. Uh, blood alcohol. I can't imagine a lot of people being able to process point three. I don't think it has to do with. <laughs> no, it does. It t- are you kidding me? Oh, They're okay. like male and female bodies. How they process alcohol is completely like like women cannot process as much as guys can. Oh, so that of... whole scene in Rage's Lost Ark is just a, a bunch of BS. Then oh, when she drinks the guy under yeah. the table or whatever. Yes, that is bullshit. <laughs> now, if it. If she was a hard, if you're a hardcore alcoholic woman and you're drinking with a uh, uh, like a guy who barely drinks, then yes, it's completely possible that um, that you would be able to do that. But um, I mean, tolerance does play into it. But biologically speaking, if you take Andre the Giant versus ariana grande uh <laughs> yeah. you know he's going to be able to polish off a, a, two entire bottles of jameson and still be able to stand while she would be able to barely finish a quarter of jameson without getting shit-faced so i mean it all depends on all that kind of shit your weight your height so a closer crap. match would be like andre the giant and like one of those like female basketball players or something well, honestly, he was such a big ass motherfucker. There really is no good comparison. Yeah, no. Except, no. except for maybe Paul White, the giant. I mean, he's pretty. He's pretty massive. Yeah. But the big show. Well, well, it's the big show. <laughs> so yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, I don't really have much else to say about Clarence and Geneva Roberts, except yeah, it was it was a good case. Good face, good case. Good was that mace. a request? Uh, no, it was just one I had in my notes um, back when I was watching Unsolved. Because I thought uh, I remember Car- seeing somebody leave a comment like, oh, have you done this case yet or something? Well, hey, you know what? Now we have. So. <laughs> they can suckle a fuckle. <laughs> Never heard that term before. All right, so uh, That's a since new we cut. Since we kind of got right into it, the begin uh, the beginning here. Uh, how how's your uh, how's your life been, Mike? Uh, it's all right. It's okay. Um, other than you know the constant battle with this fucking skin sensitivity thing, I mean it's all right. I mean, it's getting to the point where I think my drugs are like not uh, as effective, so like they don't last as long, which sucks. Um, and oh, that skin, the skin thing you got from uh, the COVID booster. Yeah, right? yeah. I don't want to, you know, the the thing that rhymes the rooster. Well, I guess I could talk about it more here because I can't, I can't talk about it on Facebook. Otherwise, they'll suspend me. <laughs> oh, oh, really? I think I know why I got my original Facebook account got suspended. I was a part of that group, that Facebook group that talked about, you know, the the side effects of the of the booster, or the or the vaccine, and that group is no longer around. It doesn't exist anymore. And so, and the and the whole thing is is like these these were legitimate yes. um, complaints yes. of 
of this side effect from getting this booster shot. And you were kind of saying that that this group wasn't even necessarily anti-vax. No. They've kicked out people who were anti-vax and and, and were trying to, you know, make it into something that wasn't a conspiracy theory site. But Facebook still still removed it. That's that's so crazy, man. Now that that's scary to me. Like that's that's like usually I agree with um whenever Twitter or Facebook, like when they banned Donald Trump permanently or whatever, like I totally agreed with that and, and you know, because he was you know he was our president and he was spreading misinformation. You know, it's uh-huh. like what kind of the craziness. And I get it, you know, but, Facebook and their algorithm, they're trying to prevent misinformation, but this wasn't technically misinformation, like it was it was a legitimate issue that you were trying to like seek yeah, I was trying yeah. to figure out what's going on because I was just freaked out and wondering what what the hell is wrong with me. I mean, when you start breaking out in hives and 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 uh, you know rashes randomly, like of course you're going to be like, what, what the hell? Like I, I don't right. have any history yeah. of anything like that, so it's pretty scary. That group helped me a lot to to kind of just realize that may that it's not life threatening. And then I went to doctors and they were just like, we don't know, we don't know what's wrong. You know, just treat it and come back if it gets worse. And here I am just treating it every day. And, you know, some days are better than others. I think certain food does cause it to get worse. It definitely kicks up more at night because your body's natural uh, histamines or whatever antihistamines uh, aren't as effective. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, it sucks. <laughs> I can't really sugarcoat it i mean i'll start feeling shit uh that's that's what happened this morning i thought i didn't have to take another pill and then like i'm starting to feel it like uh forming in my armpit again and itchy and just red and then on my neck and then i'm like all right i guess i gotta take another fucking pill now get this shit under control so yeah other than that it's fine or or dealing with people who are just difficult at work you know, that kind of stuff. Um, had a guy who tried at Kohl's where he tried to try to pull a fast one. I was trying to do this whole like he took like Nike and Under Armour products and he took off clearance stickers from from uh, clearance items and he put them on the, the relatively brand new Nike and Under Armour and then was trying to pass them off as clearance. And then he's like trying to be like, why is it not ringing up on sale? I'm like, uh, because, you know, they, they don't match. And then he was trying to, it seemed like he was trying to be a little intimidating. So then I, I got the manager over there and the manager was like, these don't match. These, these aren't on sale. You pay the full price. You know, I was like, but well, there's like five of them over there at the clearance rack. I was like, sorry, sir. Can't, can't, uh, honor, honor this price. This doesn't match. And then he threw like a fit. And he said, like, one of the dumbest things I've heard in a long, t- a, a long time. Speaking of dumb, can't speak, apparently. So, yeah, he said one of the dumbest things. He was like, well, you should you should put yellow tape over that fucking clearance rack then. It's like, oh, my God, like yellow tape. Like what? What? This isn't a fucking crime scene. <laughs> like, <laughs> yellow tape. Jesus Christ. You should put yellow tape over that fucking clearance section. And then he just ran off and sl- and and slung the the door open 
angrily, you know, that Man, kind I wish, of thing. I wish we could, like, in those moments, I wish we you could, like, pluck those people up and throw them in a volcano. They seriously make society, like, so much worse. Like, what good is that individual, you know, to, to, to you know, try to pull something like that and then get pissed off when they get caught and then, like, throw it on you? It's like, those are, like, the most worthless And that was a Mother's people. Day, too. Mother's Day was nuts. Crazy uh, amount of last-minute shoppers trying to get stuff for their moms. And just, like, everything. You had that guy. You had the guy who just grabs shit and runs out the door. You're getting a lot more of those people, those shoplifters. Damn. Um, they had the people try to pull a fast one like that, like that one guy, or try to say, try to make a big deal over why uh, a certain uh, expired coupon or Kohl's cash doesn't work. It's like it, it doesn't work. I'm sorry, I can't give that to you. Like I had, I had that like yesterday. This one woman, this one gal, she wanted to use. Uh, a discount and then also use a gift card and and it specifically says you have to use your Kohl's card otherwise you cannot get that discount and then she's trying to be like well I want to use the gift card and I've, I, I've been able to do it before and I'm trying to explain it to her that it doesn't work that way and then I had to get a manager over there the manager explained it to her and then afterwards after the manager left she was trying to you could just scan it you could just scan it it could go through and I'm like no I could lose my job. I could get in trouble. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I don't understand people. I don't get it. Especially if it's like 20-something bucks. Use your Kohl's card and then pay it off later. Lady, come on. Yeah, if, if, if 27 bucks really puts you in the hole, <laughs> then uh, I think you, sh- you should probably not be shopping at Kohl's to begin with. You need to go into the Dollar Tree or Walmart. Yeah, I went into the Dollar Tree or the Dollar Twenty Five Tree uh, recently, and yeah, you definitely, you know, the, the, I feel bad for people who work there because, like, it seems like they get slammed and they don't have enough people, so you know, things just get kind of hectic in terms of you know, working at the register over there. And you know, there's there's this one guy I was waiting in line with who was definitely some kind of tweaker or whatever. Because he was all like antsy and fidgety, and he was like, "Oh, oh, 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 come on, man! Why is the line so long?" Uh, and it was asking people, "Could I go?" Could I, like he was like, "Could I go in front of you?" And I'm like, "Dude, fine, go ahead." Shit, that's, that sounds like me when I'm hungry. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like in line at a food place. I'm just like, "Oh, well, well why isn't there more people uh, working? Why isn't the line moving so slow?" <laughs> God damn it, this motherfucker's ordering 27 million things and asking a million questions. Shut up! I know exactly what I want. Let me go first. You're like, you're having, Dude, it's you're a, it's having the, the worst. turkey sandwich shakes. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's the fucking worst. Like, at Publix, the grocery store down here in uh, Florida in the south or whatever, they, they're known for their really good subs. And the problem is, is that the sub makers there are slower than fucking molasses, and the people who order the sub literally want everything under the goddamn sun on their fucking sandwich and then you get the jackasses who are ordering for them and the entire family so they they got like fucking four or five hoagies on the cutting board and they they each a hundred percent different and i'm just ordering one motherfucking sub and i always get stuck behind these people and they're so specific on the exact things they want and like literally i'm like 
hey, I want a turkey sub. Can you, you know, add provolone, you know, mayo, mustard, uh, lettuce, and light onion? Boom, done. They're done with my sub in like under two minutes. You know, it's like, I wish I had like a special badge that I could show people that this individual knows exactly what he wants. He will only take a minute and 30 seconds to order. Please let him go ahead of you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, a, like a fast pass or something. I don't know. Like that would have been a fast food, be cool. fast pass, fast food pass. Yeah. <laughs> fast food pass. Yeah, as far as my life goes, since you asked, um, I have just been doing the karaoke shit. It seems like every week is exactly the same. Uh, the only thing that breaks up my mundane life is whenever we play a show. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just pretty much same shit, different day. I'm DJing tonight at this uh, place I've never worked at before. I've been there, but I've never worked there. Um, and that's that it could I bet, potentially be a new gig that pays well for only having to do four hours of work, so it's cool. Um, just beat a video game I've been playing, so I'm kind of bummed about that because I don't have anything to play now. What game is just, it? It was a, It's not a new game by any means. It was called Days Gone oh, okay. for PlayStation 4. Uh, it was a fucking fantastic game. Um, you're not gonna get but, into uh, the new trendy stuff like uh, Elden Ring or whatever. Or... <laughs> as far as I know, that's kind of an RPG. I'm more into like open world mm-hmm. sandbox type shooter games, like adventure games. Uh, anything that's, got... I mean, yes, most video games have elements of RPG in them, even open world games like their skill trees and yeah. shit like that. But it's not as, uh, I don't know. Anything that's turn-based, first of all, I'm just instantly turned off. I'm like, nah, thanks, I'm good. So you're you know, not into I, Final I, Final Fantasy games? So. No, no, no. I've I've never, never gotten into that. I hate. I think the turn-based thing is the silliest fucking battle system ever. Like, I mean, I know you suspend your disbelief. Is it Pokemon when you're like that too? I think. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, Pokemon's a little better though. I can. I don't, the thing with Pokemon is like you get you get your one Pokemon that you like max out level wise, and then you just use the same powerful attack on every Pokemon, and it pretty much defeats them in one in one hit. Um, that's how that's been my experience with those games. I really enjoyed the ones on Game Boy growing up, but I just never could stay interested. But I mean, like, what an unrealistic fighting system! The turn based combat, like you know hit punch and then the guy's just standing there and your character punches the guy and then you just stand there and wait for the other person to do their move it's like the stupidest like like what if (laughs) what if people fall like that in real life that should be so funny like they get into a bar fight and then they just stand still and then the other person just punches the guy and the guy just takes a punch and stands there and the other guy just stands there and then, you know, whoever's controlling him chooses the runaway option and he just like run he flees, you know. I don't know. It's just <laughs> so I don't I don't like the the turn-based games. Uh, the games that I like are pretty fucking specific, so I have to wait a really long time for like a new game to come out that that's in a series that I like or I just have to keep experimenting until I find a game that I might like, but um yeah, I don't know. Um yeah, I don't know if there's anything else worth mentioning. Uh, I guess we can wrap it up. Getting kind of hungry anyway. <laughs> All right, guys, that's a podcast. If you want to become Patreons, you can subscribe to our Patreon page by going to patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. 
for uh, $3 a month, you get the podcast early sometimes. <laughs> and for $5 a month, you can uh, give us topics to cover on the show. I actually think we got some from Robin Lewis, the Aussie, down south there. Uh, we got to talk about. Um, so once again, that's patreon.com slash uncovering and explain mysteries. We have a Teespring account. I think I put it in the description of every podcast. You can order a fucking shirt or a mug, you know? During COVID, you could have even ordered Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries mask, which I believe we sold two of. And I feel bad for those people because I ordered one for myself. <laughs> and, 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 and they are cheaply made and uncomfortable. But our shirts are not. The shirts are very soft, comfortable, well-made. Um, if you want to join our Facebook group, go to... Um, Facebook.com, search Unex- Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, hit the Groups tab. You should be able to find us that way. It's kind of convoluted, but hey, whatever. Finally, if you're into me uh, or Mike and you want just one or the other, you're tired of the bothiness of us, you can go to our YouTube channels. Mike's YouTube channel is uh, YouTube.com slash OCP Communications. That is YouTube.com slash OCP Communications. He's a movie guy. What was the last movie you talked about? Was it Jesus Camp? Uh, actually, no. The last movie I talked about was Sonic the Hedgehog, the 2020 uh, video game movie. Uh, a video game movie that surprisingly doesn't suck. It was entertaining. It was fun. Jim Carrey was a blast. Um, uh, and I'm not super big on Sonic. Like I didn't really play a lot of Sonic games. I just remember watching the awful Saturday afternoon cartoon. Um... There were two. One of them was good, and one of them, one of them sucked. Yeah, I watched the one that sucked. I didn't even know anything about the one that was good until like many, many years later. For some reason, as a kid, I, I really liked the the one that sucked. But uh, the film, yeah, surprisingly, doesn't suck. I would recommend it. it. It's a fun movie. I also saw the sequel. I know a lot of people like it more than the first, but I actually like the first film a little bit more because it had better pacing. Um. But uh, yeah, I'm, I've been doing some Sonic stuff lately. So yeah, I never. I, I honestly, I hate. Uh, I, I hated the Sonic games on <laughs> Sega, like the the original ones. You hated uh, them. We got a Sonic hater yes, over here. Uh-oh. Yes, I I hated them. I fucking hated them. I hated the whole concept. Like, okay, you get to go fast. Uh, but then we're gonna throw a bunch of shit in your way. To to block that that speed and that momentum because what's fun is when you go you you get Sonic to go fast and you're running through the ho- the hoops and the twisty trues and all that shit and then they will just put a spike in front of you or an enemy and all your fucking rings fly out of your chest cavity and just sprinkle everywhere and I don't know it's just a stupid game and then and then like after the first zone. You go. You end up going to zones where you can't even use your speed. It's more, it becomes more of a platformer. Uh, Sonic the 3D or whatever on Dreamcast. That was a pretty. That was a pretty solid game. Um, but yeah, as, a, as far as the character goes, I never gave a fuck about Sonic. I mean, I, I honestly, I never gave that many fucks about Mario either. Although Mario has way better games than Sonic does. I mean, that's fucking hands down. I think most people will agree on that. Um, but yeah, isn't it sad that like this is essentially going to be Jim Carrey's last movie? Apparently, no, Sonic Two. Like he said, like he's considering retirement, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is for sure. 
one of those like contemplating sort of things from what I've been reading. Like he he's open to maybe doing another Sonic if the script is good, you know that kind of thing. I feel like he hasn't even, uh, you know, he hasn't even been around that. Like you know, com- comparatively to someone like Clint Eastwood or fucking Ron Howard or someone or like Fred that. Fred Ward like, who I, passed away today. Yeah, I don't know who that guy was. But he was in Tremors. Uh, never seen. Never it. seen Tremors. Bro, there's a lot of movies that you haven't seen. Come oh, I know. Out, so I, don't even, I know. I don't, I don't even want to hear that. <laughs> See, what I what I found out is like I I feel like I tend to stick to the more art house kind of shit, the the more indie underground whatever, and I feel like you stick to the more like kind of classic uh, mainstream. I've seen uh, some staples. underground stuff too. I mean, oh, I'm I'm sure you have, but like I, I feel like if we compare the movies that we've seen, you've seen a lot of the classics which i have not but i've seen a bunch of movies that most people probably haven't seen well i've seen a bunch of movies really that people haven't seen either you know i've seen stuff like anti-birth that sounds uh disturbing it is pretty disturbing <laughs> so anyway that's mike's channel go check it out if you want to hear him talk about movies uh, i might pop in for the jesus camp um because we talked about that on the podcast yeah, and right? I, I listened to that again prior to doing the the video so there's some some things that I repeat, but there's some other stuff that I go on a little bit of a tangent, a little controversial sort of stuff about religion and whatever. Uh-oh, yeah. Mike's over here making hot takes. <laughs> Usually doesn't do that. You got to go to his YouTube channel for the hot takes. Yeah, because uh, speaking of religious hot takes, I also watched the film Religious, but I didn't decide to do a video on it. Uh, that was the one Bill Maher yeah, did, right? Yeah, it was, it was interesting, a fun watch. Uh, I don't think the... The end rant that he does at the end fits the tone of the film. He just goes on some end rant about how religion, in all forms, it should be no longer a thing because it's destructive or whatever. It's like the whole documentary is like him talking about fighting back against hot takes, and then he delivers like a massive like nuclear take at the end of the of the movie. To de- I mean I I I essentially agree that. I believe religion in all forms is more does more harm than good as far as like the wars that have been started, you know, and shit, even the political climate we're in today is largely based on, you know, our, how religious certain sides of our country are. That might be all right, but like not in the, not in the way that that film was set up. Like it, it just didn't really fit the tone of the documentary. It just felt like, it was just one of those things that felt very separate from from the whole vibe of the documentary previously. Yeah. Um, I still still thought it was worth a watch. I mean, there's some really interesting stuff about how similar the Bible and its stories are to other existing stories from previous uh, uh, myths from other cultures. I feel, like, I feel like most people know that yeah. now. Like, I think that was something that definitely. Uh, I feel like that that's kind of become made more known since, yeah. you know, people have gotten more educated. The one and, bit, though, where they talk about how the origin of Jesus is almost identical to the origin of Horus, I thought that was definitely something that was interesting because I didn't really know about that prior to that documentary. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so let's continue to piss off our religious <laughs> Um All right, so if you want to go to my YouTube channel, I'm more music-based uh, I mainly talk about music-related topics, do reviews, uh, 
little mini documentaries. I'm working on one right, right now, actually, that I'm pretty excited about. Um, it's not the current video that I did. The last video I did was um, my review of the Primus concert that I went to. I go in depth, and for any Primus or Rush fans, you should give that video a watch. But the video that I'm working on that's coming up is um, the uh, growing pains of artists, of big pop stars from the 1980s uh, transferring into the 1990s and how, how their sounds dramatically changed. Oh, you were talking about that one. So Yeah, I'm finally, I'm finally fucking doing it after all this time. Did so, you hear um, Dawkins' yeah. attempt to be grunge? <laughs> I had to listen to a lot of bands' attempts to be a lot of things, and um, some, some almost pulled it off. Def Leppard's... Uh, was it spit album or whatever uh that one like the first song started out strong and i was like shit man def leppard can really pull off this whole grunge alternative rock thing and then by track two it was like oh yeah this is a def leppard song for sure (laughs) um kiss tried to go grunge like a lot of the rock like rush a lot of the guys tried to do it well kiss have uh, been trying to do stuff like that even like in the 80s like if you look at their lick it up album like that's very different drastically different from their 70s stuff they were trying to do the it wasn't it wasn't grunge no they were doing the hair metal thing yeah they're doing glam glam yeah they're trying to be glam rock you know um yeah so and then after the grunge thing fell flat on its face, they just went back to their classic. They just became a nostalgia act, essentially. And they're like, well, let's put the face paint back on yeah. and do Psycho Circus. Spe- speaking which of like nostalgia like- stuff, like and I'm really nostalgic and I'm a big fan of Scorpions and I didn't even know they came out with a new album this year. So It's hard to find that shit out now, you know, unless someone posts about it on social media. I just found it when I was just searching for Scorpions albums on Spotify. You know, and then yeah, arcade. My one of my favorite bands, Arcade Fire, put out a new album a few days ago, and I listened, I listened to that thing on repeat last night because I was like, "Fuck, a new album!" And it doesn't suck, unlike their last one. Yeah, though. I think the Scorpions album is pretty decent too. Like, there's there's some there's some good good tracks on that. It's got to be hard for those legend, like the 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 kind of us uh, legacy bands. It's got to be hard for them to release a new album and for people to really care that much. Because when a band like that releases a new album, they're having to compete with like over 40 years of nostalgia for their old songs. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how do you not go in judging the fuck out of the album? You know, like that's got to be difficult. I thought it I thought it was like there was a one song in particular that was like really close to like some of their best like classic stuff. So. And that's another thing. If something on there is really good, like it's rare that it will break out and people will know about it because it's like you just it's, it's, it's like your band reaches a certain point in the public eye where you're kind of seen as a has been or you're seen yeah. as like, oh, yeah, you know, we're not playing them anymore. They don't fit the, the new format, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. Because they got a track called Seventh Son, which I thought was pretty damn good. Um, so anyway, if you want to check out my channel, it is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Once again, youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Um, so yeah, as for me and Mike, that is the end of the podcast, my friends. Hopefully we'll see you sooner than uh, a month from now with our schedules and all. <laughs> um, June's going to be fucking hell. I have a show like every weekend in June uh, with the band. It's crazy. Unfortunately, they're all in Florida, though, so... 
But if you live in Florida, I might be coming to you. Check out our band on Spotify, Dancing with Ghosts, same name as my YouTube channel, and we're on all the social media. Till next time, have a good rest of your night. Bye. See ya.